Welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. John O'Leary is the number one national best-selling author of the book On Fire. He's a world-class inspirational speaker, and he's the host of the Live Inspired Podcast. John interviews extraordinary individuals on their life story so that you can wake up from accidental living and more fully live your life story. Here's your host, John O'Leary. Well, hello, my friends. I am John O'Leary, and I'm so happy to have you here joining me in the Live Inspired movement. On every Live Inspired podcast episode, I have amazing guests join me to share their story, their successes, their failures, their lessons, their life. You will absolutely hear profound and unforgettable, inspiring life stories. But more importantly, you will take away real ideas to apply in your own life. My friends, my goal is to have guests on this show that will inspire you to choose to wake up from accidental living so that you can do, you can be, you can achieve, and you can impact even more through your life. Or maybe a little bit more simply said, so that you can live inspired. Today's guest, and it's going to be a good one, today's guest started his first business at age 12. When he asked his dad for money, he wanted a little icy, and instead his dad responded, you don't need money, you don't need an icy, you need a job. He promptly started mowing lawns around his neighborhood, and he's been in business, he's been driving entrepreneurial thinking, and he's been changing people's lives ever since. Today, This one-time lawnmower is a nationally syndicated radio show host. He's a national best-selling author many times over. He's a personal finance guru, and I'm also lucky enough to call this gentleman my friend. His name is Dave Ramsey. The Dave Ramsey Show is aired on 578 stations. It's the third largest talk radio show in the nation and enjoys nearly 13 million listeners a week. But Dave's life has not always been so bright. He'll share in this episode what it was like for him to start that, yeah, the first lawn care business, but even more than that, a little bit more detail around his first real business, which involved real estate development. He began that at age 18. He started making more than $250,000 a year. By age 26, he had more than $4 million in assets. And by age 28, just two years later, he was bankrupt. He'll share about his faith, his marriage, and gratitude, and how it all grew stronger because of that failure. And partially is what he credits his success to today. It's the foundation of this now incredible next step in his life. Dave will share some amazing and simple insights on how to better manage your money, how to better manage your life, and how to better lead and manage your business. But most of all, Dave is so used to being on the other side of the microphone interviewing people, you are going to love hearing from him as a guest Are you ready? You ready to light this thing up? My friends, welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast. My friend, a dear mentor of mine, his name is Dave Ramsey. Wow, I'm here. This is so cool. Thank you for having me. You made it, man. I did it. You finally have have achieved success. I've been working on it. We are, in fact, tell our listeners right now where we are recording this podcast. In my studios here at the Ramsey Solutions headquarters where I do the Dave Ramsey show every day. 
For, for the uh, uninitiated, what is the Dave Ramsey show? Uh, it would be a talk radio show where we answer questions about life and money. 578 radio stations right now, making us the third largest talk radio show in the nation. And about how many listeners? Mm, 12, bumping up towards 13 million a week. When people tune in, what can they expect to hear? Uh, the truth about their life and about what's going on. I'll uh, start out usually answering a question fairly gently, and to the extent someone doesn't align, then with that I'll increase the heat to help them get where they need to go for them. And uh, and it ends up being pretty entertaining radio in the process. Yeah, agreed on that. And, and it's not only good radio, you are also a speaker and a writer. Oh, definitely, yeah. Those are the three things I do best. Actually, I'm not that great a writer, but I sell a lot of books. What, what are the books about? Um, uh, leadership. We've had a number one book on leadership, number one New York Times bestseller called Entree Leadership. And then the rest of them are on um, money and personal finance and wealth and that kind of a thing. And we've had several national bestsellers. There are several number ones. When you're not working and high-fiving number one achievements, what, what keeps you busy at home? I... Sharon, my wife, um, doing honeydews like anybody else, right? So, I mean, at, at home, I mean, we're, you know, we've certainly got recreational activities we dive into from time to time. But, um, you know, our, our life is just pretty busy overall. We're pretty programmed. We've got grandbabies in the na- in the neighborhood. And so being Papa Dave takes up a lot of time. you got three kids. Mm-hmm. How many grandbabies? Three. So this is what you're doing today. You're very busy, very successful professionally and financially. And yet the story doesn't begin at Ramsey Solutions. It doesn't begin with number one bestsellers. It starts many decades ago. Take me and take my friends back to uh, to your upbringing. I think it's Antioch. Is that where you were born? Yeah. Well, Antioch, Tennessee, which is a suburb of Nashville. Good middle-class suburban neighborhood. Parents that were one generation off the farm. They came off the farm to suburbs and uh, got married, had kids young, us, and uh, raised us. So work ethic was a big deal. Uh, they were both. They are both entrepreneurial, and uh, so they started and ran businesses, and always gave me a reason to do that. Always taught us we could do anything if we worked hard enough and told the truth. And um, sometimes, most of the time, that works. <laughs> Over the long haul, that That's works. Right, long term, that works. But boy, there's always a, a, a dipsy doodle, a, a bump, and a curve here or there. What was your first job? Hmm. Uh, that would be 12 years old cutting grass. Yeah. 27 yards to cut when I was 12. How'd you end up stepping into that as your career path? <laughs> 12 years old, baby. I asked my dad. I asked my dad. I made, chain. The, yeah, I made the mistake of asking my dad for some money. And he said, you don't need money. You need a job. What could you do? And I said, well, I'm not 16. I'm not allowed to get a job. And he said, yeah, you can cut the neighbor's grass. Go knock on the doors. And took me down, printed up business cards that said Dave's Lawns. 500 of them. I said, Dad, that's a little overkill. I just wanted some money for Icy. <laughs> you got the money for the Icy. Apparently a little bit more than that. Yeah. How many years were you cutting grass? Uh, I cut so much grass by the time I was 18. God said I never had to do it again. Okay. I've never cut my own lawn ever as an adult. You went to Tennessee for college. <laughs> is that right? I did. University of Tennessee at Knoxville. What was your major? Uh, finance with a specialization in real estate. Mom and dad were in the real estate business. I got my real estate broker, affiliate broker's license when I turned 18, as soon as I could get it. Started selling houses while I was in school, and then got my broker's when I was 20. So I was going to be a real estate empire owner. That was my plan. And then what happened? I got out of college, and I became a real estate empire owner. Um, starting from nothing, I 
ended up with about $4 million worth of real estate and a little over a million dollar net worth. And at 25, 26 years old, I was making 250000 a year. But I borrowed too much money and the bank got sold to another bank and they called our loans and we spent the next two and a half years of our life losing everything we owned. And so with a brand new baby, a toddler, a marriage hanging on by a thread at 28, I got the opportunity to start again. Tell me about that opportunity. It's an opportunity that shows up in so many people's lives that uh, it's not fully embraced as the potential gift that I think it became for you. What's different about the way you handle this massive crisis than maybe the way many of us deal with the adversity that blows our way? You know, I, I think that, I mean, obviously your life is the embodiment of those kinds of things as well. But it's, um, you know, this idea that, that somehow success is, the, is this gleaming, shiny, clean mountain is, um, is basically a load of garbage. As I've met with successful people in every industry, in every genre, whether it's ministry or athletes or artists or authors or talk radio hosts or speakers or whatever they are, um, all of them have a life that is littered with failure. It's just, and usually have one big one in there somewhere uh, of some kind. And the only difference is, is really that you start to understand the gleaming mountain of success is really a pile of garbage. You, all your mistakes, you're just standing on them rather than laying under them. And it's just a decision to do that uh, daily mm. again. Because, I mean, this morning I've already made mistakes. And so now, you know, if every time you threw an interception, you went and sat on the bench, you'd never play quarterback, mm. you know. And so you just go, you clear your mind and go, that's in the past. I found something that doesn't work. And I found something else that doesn't work. And it's experimenting instead of failing. It, the only difference in failing and experimenting is failing, you quit. Experimenting is I keep moving, I keep figuring it out. And so I'd like to tell you I bounced back from that crisis. I didn't. I sat around whined and blamed everybody else. Sometimes you blame everybody else when you do something stupid. Mm -hmm. So it turns out McDonald's does serve hot coffee. You know, and so it's that's just, you know, this victim thing that's going on out there. And, you know, you got to decide if you're going to be a victim or be a victor. I know that's cliche. But, uh, well, you don't know about, my, you know, you don't know about me. And, yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. I mean, I'm nothing special. I didn't, I didn't have a 3.0 in college or above. I didn't, you know, nobody gave me scholarships for my brilliance or my good looks or my athletic ability. Mm -hmm. um, it's been scratching, clawing, fighting, um, and, and not quitting. And, you know, it sounds very cliche, but it, it really is the formula. When you were 26 and riding high, were you identifying as a wealthy, successful entrepreneur? Is that is that who you were in your mind's eye back then? Was that your value base? No, oh, yeah, I was the smartest guy on the planet. If you didn't believe me, all you do is ask me. Um, yeah, arrogant doesn't even cover it. Yeah, um, yeah, I was I was uh, a twerp, and um, <laughs> but but uh, you know I was smart enough that I you know street smart enough that I could pull deals together, and I pulled a bunch of deals together. And I actually didn't do anything morally wrong that caused that. I just borrowed too much money. A lot of it was on short-term notes, and the bank got sold to another bank, so they called our notes. And so I was doing flip this house before there was cable TV to show you how, you know. And so, uh, you know, but I got to learn the lesson of the power that debt has negatively in your life. Mm -hmm. And most people learn it so subtly, so slowly that they don't realize how much it's tearing up their life. But when an atom bomb gets dropped on your life, you know, when you have a nuclear holocaust happen in the middle of your life, mm -hmm. you stop and you really do um, reevaluate what the principles are that you were using and whether they work or not. My wife, Dave, is extraordinarily risk averse. 
And so I've been an entrepreneur as long as she's been with me, but that has always been a struggle in our relationship, even in the good years. Mm -hmm. So when things are struggling in the good years with risk, uh, I can't imagine what it's like. And we've really never had to go through them as a couple, but you and Sharon did. Was there blame? Was, were there those nights where she was kind of pointing the finger across the bed or across the table saying, you brought us up, now you're bringing us down and you're going to figure out a way forward? Or was that not part of your path forward? Are, are you you talking about last night? <laughs> I was. I, w- I was tuning in. I was at a neighbor's house, but we heard the argument. Uh, no, it's better than it was 25 years later, uh, but there's scars there. And uh, the poor lady, she thought she married Sir Galahad. Turns out it was Goober, <laughs> you know, and uh, she's just, she was in a mess. And she, you know, she lost all faith in, in me. And, uh, and based on the circumstances, that was reasonable. Uh, but my self-esteem was at an all-time low. And so hmm. her loss of faith uh, combined with my low self-esteem created a pretty combustible mixture. We about killed each other. Uh, we didn't get a divorce. We held on to each other. Uh, but she often tells people she would have left, but we only had one car. <laughs> but so she couldn't. And, uh, you know, and it didn't blow up for about three years later because uh, we just had to get back to surviving and feeding babies and mm-hmm. keeping the. So we kind of stuffed it all down and, and got the lights turned back on and got the water reconnected, you know, and got back to living and eating again. And then once we started making a little bit of money again, it all bubbled back to the surface, and then we spent the next three years in really in-depth marriage counseling to survive because we about killed each other. It, it does leave scars. It really does. It's very, very real. And the, uh, um, I mean, to this day, uh, you know, I, I can see something that happens. Yeah. She, she was traveling abroad with some friends, and her uh, debit card got flagged for fraud, and it cut off her ability to use her debit card. And she had another one in her pocket. You know, she had one on the business, one on her personal account. And, and yet the... That activate the fact that they turned her down for her card, even though it's no fault of her own, mm. obviously, but it activated that toxic mess inside of her. Three from decades 20, earlier. Yeah, three decades ago. And it's like she, she was an angry woman with the bank until they got the thing turned back on. They didn't understand. The, the, right. the, they thought they just were doing fraud protection, but they didn't understand. They activated all this fear and all this sense of loss and this sense of vulnerability and the terror that goes with being out of control financially and getting ready to have your house foreclosed on. It was all activated by a simple debit card transaction that didn't go through. Yeah, we, we are all these big old trees with the rings inside. And those yep. rings from yep. 30 years ago are as much a part of who we are now as they were then. Yeah, they don't, they don't influence us as much because we are thicker than we used to be as trees. But, uh, uh, but, but you know, it's interesting how something like that uh, that just occurred the other day um, uh, for, she, for Sharon or for me, can activate some of those old memories what kept you guys together dave i i you know part of it was we didn't have any place to go um really it really was that um and and, uh part of it was our our faith as christians we we really did cling to god and we went and we were clinging to each other because we were just two scared little kids and we we didn't um we knew it would you know that that really being apart wasn't going to solve it Mm -hmm. it was it wasn't it wasn't that, you know, uh, that somebody did something wrong other than my lack of business acumen or business judgment. Um, it wasn't like I cheated somebody or I lied to her or something like that. It was just a car wreck. You go from $4 million in assets to zero. What do you, what do you eventually move into next professionally? Uh, immediately following that, I kept doing real estate deals, but I didn't have any money or any credit. So I was basically finding a deal, tying it up and pitching it to another investor to make a spread. 
other guys that used to compete with me for deals became my customers. Mm -hmm. And and so it took about 14 months to get back to six figures again. I was making money again doing that. Um, But I had a lot of mess to clean up. And so we didn't feel it for three or four years because we had still had the IRS, the KGB to deal with. And we still had a bunch of other stuff. So it took like three years to dig out. Uh, and to get back up to just kind of ground zero. And that's when emotionally, when the other stuff broke loose, but, uh, uh, went to doing that. And then, um, probably at the five year mark is when we started exploring these, uh, using these financial principles that we were learning from the Bible and from old people, <laughs> common sense stuff that we weren't, uh, that we didn't have in our lives, but we started using them after the crash and then we started actually teaching them and telling other people about them and actually trying to earn a little bit of money doing that it was a very little amount of money at the start. Um, uh, and that's kind of where this business was born. Was it ever a plan to build a business out of teaching your friends and neighbors and guys you went to church with how to manage their money differently? Um, I'm really entrepreneurial. And so as soon as I started realizing that I wasn't the only one that was broke and stupid, and trying to put on a facade, and it's pretty much everybody. I mean, like everybody. Uh, the market is huge. Right. It's, it's a pretty it's big huge. market. I mean, me and Jenny Craig, we got a lot of work to do. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's like we're busy. And once I realized the size of the market and I realized that we had the keys to unlock the door for them and to give them hope and to give them uh, real traction because it was working for Sharon and me and it was working for that couple we'd helped at the church and it was working for that guy, a single guy over the church we'd helped. And, you know, I started teaching a little Sunday school class. There were 35 people in there. And I looked up and there was 400 in there and I was like, gee, man, everybody, this stuff is important, mm-hmm. you know? And so not, I started on a selfish basis for myself for, to, to not have pain anymore, mm-hmm. you know, but then real quickly you start alleviating pain for other people and that gives you not only a psychological income, but then we start realizing, you know, I could charge a little bit for this. And then pastor said, you know, write it down in a book. I'm like, we need another get out of debt book. Like Oprah needs another diet book. But uh, he goes, well, you got a different story. God gave you a different story. You need to use that story. And so I wrote it down and I'm not a writer. I mean, the first book is a real testament to that, but we've sold two and a half, two, 2.7 million copies of it. So it worked out. Okay. What's the name of that book? Financial peace. Yeah. Um, that's the one, Dave, that you started selling in your own backyard, and then you would throw copies in the back of your old car, drive mm-hmm. around, and move mm-hmm. them like that one by one by one. Mm-hmm. Was that the only product you were charging for back then? So you would teach for free and then sell the book? I would I would speak for free because nobody would pay me. And, um, and I started doing a little bit of counseling, financial counseling help somebody stop the foreclosure on their house and that kind of thing. I started charging a little fee for that. Like I've always wondered, how do you bill people when they're running out of money in the first place? Up front. (laughs) (laughs) Good advice. Write that one down, (laughs) my friends. Dave Ramsey, sage advice, practical and personal again. No, you don't want to become one of their bills because their bills are already shaming them. And if the guy trying to help them is shaming them, it doesn't work because there's so much shame and guilt and condemnation associated with failing financially that you don't want to become a bill for them. You don't want to become a debt for them uh, because then they really are rejecting the very place that they're supposed to be coming for help. So what we charged a hundred, 150 bucks or whatever it was up front uh, for a counseling session. And I would stop their foreclosure for that and help them. I'd work with their, their mortgage company and work out the deal where they could repay double payments or a payment and a half until they got caught up mm-hmm. uh, forbearance. It's called that kind of a thing. And that's where it started. And then finally, this uh, restaurant guy 
um, that's the restaurant's now defunct, but it was a chain of restaurants call me and they paid me $250 to speak. And, um, and I went and spoke for their regional meeting and then they wanted to fly me up to uh, Columbus, Ohio to speak. And, and he said, what would you charge for that? And I said, well, travel plus, um, if it going out of town, double that. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, we won't pay that. We'll pay 250 plus travel, but we'll give you another 250 in, uh, gift cards to our restaurant. And so by the time we finished eating all those gift cards through, we hated that restaurant, but, um, you ate there every night cause it was like the only money we had, <laughs> but, but, uh, but I flew up and spoke and, you know, that was the first time I ever got paid for speaking. I've understood Dave, that you have always suggested that people need to pay. They need to invest in their own solutions. That even though you would be able to give away all kinds of content today, it's your belief that in order for people to really make it their own, they've got to be willing to put some of their own chips on the table. Yeah, and we even tell companies that furnish our materials to their team to somehow, if they can, if it makes sense in the process, to to have them put even $10 in the pot. I mean, there's just something about if you pay for something that you, you pay more attention to it. You appreciate it more, and you know, especially learning materials. A free book is one of the worst things in the world. I give away a lot of free books to mm-hmm. help people on the radio and that kind of thing. But, but you know, I, the number of times you've been given a free book or I've been given a free book that might have been a great book, but I might not have read it. Mm-hmm. But, the, but if I go buy a book, I've made it's a, I've made a decision that I want You're that voting. material. I'm voting my <clears throat> value system. Jesus said, "Your treasures where your heart is," and so when you invest in that, and the more you pay for it the more engaged you are. I mean, people that pay a lot of money for a three-day class, they mm-hmm. they really tune in. The name Lampo. Where's, where's, where does the name Lampo come from? Well, when we went broke as Christians, we said, okay, we're surrender. We're not doing anything anymore. God owns this. We're running it for him. Whatever this is, we're going to do it for him. And so when we started t- toying around with the idea of actually teaching and writing and speaking for money and maybe maybe trying to make a little money on the radio that all within the same subject we're doing this for god you own it god so i'm praying one morning i said okay god what do you want to name this and i got real quiet and i heard i wrote down um you know ramsey uh ramsey something and i went that really wasn't you god was it (laughs) And, and then i wrote down light light god you're not really good at marketing that's awful and uh then i was in the church study doing a meeting with a client with a a ministry client and um i pulled down the the uh the um strong's concordance Mm -hmm. and i thought wouldn't it be weird if there was one version of light in here either hebrew or greek that represented what we were trying to do and it was only one it only appeared one time so it was like god talking okay and um because we had promised to not be shy about our faith not be overly burdensome with it in the sense that someone of another faith or no faith is is completely turned off unless they just want to be uh but we're not going to ever apologize for who we are as believers and um we're just going to be who we are out loud and and so um i run my finger down and sure enough every version of light appears multiple times in scripture every every greek version appears multiple times every hebrew version appears, appears multiple times except one lampo which I would guess is where we get the word lamp from, mm-hmm. probably. It's a Greek, mm-hmm. Greek word, lampo for light. And it's in Matthew 5.15. It says, don't hide your light under a bushel. Put it on a lampstand for all to see. I went, okay, that was you, God. Do, 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 do. Right, and so it became the Lampo Group, which is still the company name mm-hmm. uh, to the uh, 
you know, legally speaking, the entity that owns everything. Branding-wise, we've shifted to Ramsey Solutions, not because of my ego, but because of a, a succession planning process right. that we're doing generationally. You start selling books to a couple, then 10, then 20, then a church of 400, and it keeps going from there. You, you dropped in the fact that you did a little bit of radio. How did you shift from doing church basements to doing radio? Well, it was an hour a day, and so um, we started doing the radio show, and me and two other guys. One guy had Friday, did real estate stuff, and then the other guy was in the mutual fund and insurance business, and then I had this little book, $12 book. And so we just went on this broke radio station uh, for, for kicks, really. It was just for fun. The guy, mutual fund guy said, well, I can sell some mutual funds. The real estate guy said, I'll get some business, and I said, well, maybe I'll sell a book for $12. <laughs> but maybe I'll help some people. But it was an hour a day, and right. I did like two days a week. Did you feel so, called to it right away? No, no. It was just something. It was just weird. It was just fun to do. And people were, the, the attractiveness of what we teach, even though our delivery was horrendous, it was two hillbillies on the radio, man. But um, but the, um, the, the truth of what we were teaching resonated with people's hearts day one. And we've had callers lined up. You've not been able to get on the show easily ever since it started even on a little broke radio station that the signal would hardly get out of the parking lot. I mean, I thought my wife was the only one listening, and there was other people out there listening almost immediately, and word spread. And, um, you know, it's always had a folksy humor yeah. and a folksy Will, Will Rogers-esque approach to everything. Um, but we've cleaned up our, our um, some of our pronunciation over the years. Um because it needed to have a little bit more credibility. I didn't want to lose my southern accent completely. I was going to ask you about that. Have you gone through some voice training? Oh, yes, yes. Oh, yeah. I had to learn to say ice instead of ass. That's and, good. That's a, that's a start. Yeah, going instead of going. You know, and all the INGs in the south, we don't complete them. It's all INs. And so um, I had to learn to do some of those things. But, I, you know, I have. And, and some W instead of W, you know, and um, the classic George W. Bush, right? But it's a, that's a classic southern thing. But uh, uh, I've cleaned up some of it, uh, intentionally left some of it because it's part of who we are. Right. You know, we're not ashamed of our southern roots. We just had trouble with bo people in Boston thinking we were broadcasting from a double wide. <laughs> well, I'm in the double wide right now, and it's it's got a great view of the dump, man. They're smashing yeah. we took the, Chevys we behind took us the right now. We took the wheels <laughs> off and everything, man. <laughs> well, the, the, uh, the double wide has 550-plus employees right now. Yeah, we've got, uh, we'll have probably 600 team members by the year end. Yeah. What's the mission that was driving you forward in day one in the double wide? <laughs> and how has it changed to where we are today? It really hasn't changed. Um, the mission statement is the same. Um, we provide biblically based common sense education and empowerment, which gives hope in all walks of life. We do that in the financial world, in the leadership world. You'll probably see us entering the marriage space, the parenting space in coming years. Um, it's part of our overall strategy uh, to, to develop a wider base so that succession isn't based on me. Because uh, the Paul Harvey Jr. thing seldom works. Um, the one-to-one -one handoff generationally, especially brand handoff. Mm -hmm. And so we've got all these other speakers and teachers and writers that are already uber successful, which is boding well for the future of this organization we call them ramsey personalities and they've had uh, we've had uh my daughter rachel is one of them she's had two number one bestsellers chris hogan had a number one bestseller earlier in the year and uh, christy wright is coming out with one that will be a number one easily uh, business boutique book uh, comes out in the spring 
And it'll do it'll do incredibly well. So I mean, those kinds of folks, uh, Anthony O'Neill, Chris Brown, Chris Brown's doing a Christian radio show in our space. Um, all of these are things we produce and people that we produce and own the product lines, so that generationally, right, this place has revenue that's not dependent on Dave. The names you just dropped are men and women that I've been lucky enough to meet in your company. And and one of the cool things I can say about them is not only is the product, whether it's the book or the programming, a plus. But the people are humble and real, and the same guy you see on the air, the same gal you hear on the air, is the exact same individual you're going to be hanging out with afterwards. Mm, yeah. I'm deeply impressed by the by the sincerity both on and off air. Well, we've had some that weren't, and they're not here. <laughs> so, I mean, you have, to, you have to be that to fit in here, because it's not about you. You're serving. And if you're coming in here with an ego, and it's all about you, and you're on the stage, you, you automatically forget that, you know, the other 600 folks around here are doing the work mm-hmm. so that you have a bright spotlight. And if you forget that, you're not going to fit in here and you're going to get jettisoned pretty quick. So I'm, I'm going to shift gears on you just a little bit. Dinner on Saturday night, my wife and I had a, a hot date together, couples night, had a blast, went in a little restaurant. It's not a big place. And in that restaurant, Dave, there were four different tables of individuals who at one point or another came up and said hello to John. Cool. Which is cool, which is flattering, which humbles me and, and uh, means we're doing some work that is touching a few lives, which is awesome. Amen. And afterwards, I think Beth gets a little tired and there's some, not intense tension, but there's a little bit of tension there. And I was thinking on the way down here today about you and Sharon, and uh, I don't know if you know this, but apparently your face is on the front of a couple books, on the front of a couple billboards. It gets bigger every time I see it. Oh, that's, yeah, I'm trying to lose weight. It's, <laughs> it's working though. And I realized, I realized why we brand books that way and why mm-hmm. we brand billboards that way. Yeah. But it also means when you walk in a KFC, everyone knows exactly who's walking in and they may not know the beautiful gal walking in front or behind you. How, how does your success impact Sharon? You know, um, she enjoys the fruit of it, obviously. Um, we both do. Uh, and um, there are uh, occasional bouts of people that are really off their rocker, um, that, that there's fear involved. It's not very often, but, um, for her, not for me, Mm -hmm. I'm not, I'm not a fearful person. Um, but the, um, uh, I mean, I think what happens more than anything else is, and any of us that are love people and are in the people business, pastors experience this, you, you get people fatigue, even if you love people. And so you have to have Sabbaths where you give yourself some space and you're just a regular person in some kind of a setting. You know, and, and then that that fills your tank back up to go be a people person again. And the good news is Sharon and I are both feel very called to what we do. It's not just a job. If it was just a job, you would get weird fast because mm. you would you start wearing, you know, masks for the germs and you'd only be in green rooms with blue M&Ms. And, you know, you'd have all these writers on your speaking gigs and all this stuff. But, you know, if you just understand it's not about you. And going broke ahead of time helped us both, you know, we're, makes us very grateful for where we for are. And we're afraid we might mess that up if we got, if we got arrogant now. So we don't want to mess it up. It's going good. And, and so, you know, very, very few times did we get in a situation where someone, where we get overwhelmed with that. And um, if we do, we just, we know what that means. It means we're getting a little fatigue and, mm-hmm. and we just need to dial back and reset our emotional tank. And, you know, the good news is Sharon's not really impressed with Dave Ramsey. 
I mean, she's just really That's not. for sure. And so she's, um, you know, and, and my family's not, and, and the people that work here really aren't. I mean, it's not, um, we don't do a lot of starstruck stuff around me. I mean, I'm just not that kind of a person. I don't generate that anyway. It's like I was had, had this, speaking of church, they had all these bodyguards. I'm like, dude, really, the Rolling Stones are not here. <laughs> I mean, this is not, this is, they, people come up to me, they just want to say thank you. It's really, we do not, we don't get a bunch of, I mean, sometimes people are crazy, but very, very, very seldom. And so we just don't, it's not how we think. Were you ever concerned you know, a, a lot of Christians love to lament as they live in the alleyways. You know, they just love to kind of hang out at the very ground floor. And you've become, Dave, extraordinarily successful in all areas. Was success ever something that you were concerned about achieving? Uh, well, certainly the first go round I was. I mean, it was all about the classic version of success, which is how much stuff you could pile up. And with it, I piled up a bunch of debt. And we just talked about why that doesn't work. Um this go around, uh, we measure success by the number of lives that we've touched. Um, in order to do that, we have to make payroll. And so we count the money, too. But, um, I mean, I never dreamed I would have income enough to pay the amount of payroll I pay uh, of 600 people. I mean, it just blows my mind how much money goes out of here just in payroll. Mm -hmm. it's, it's tens and tens of millions of dollars. It'll approach $100 million this year. I mean, our payroll will. It just blows my brains. I can't. It's hard to grasp emotionally. So, you know, in, in that sense, the only reason we're searching for success is to serve our team, make payroll, and to serve the, the listeners, uh, the, the readers, the, the event attendees, that they get value more than they paid. And that means that they got some life change, inspiration, and information through something that we did somewhere. So we were worth our money. You know, you go down to a restaurant, you eat a good meal, you go, well, that's worth my money. Mm -hmm. You know, you go to an event, somebody speaks, and you learn something, you go away going, well, that's worth my money, worth my time. And read a book, you go, sometimes you read them and you go, well, that wasn't worth anything. And then other times you go, that's a great book. It's worth, you know, I got I got five uh, $10,000 ideas out of this $20 book. Mm -hmm. You know, well, that's worth my money. You know, or I just unplugged for a little while and read some good fiction and I relaxed because of it. So I was worth my money. You know, and that's, you just won't be worth your money. And if you're worth your money, then you do it on scale, then there's a lot of money. So there are people tuning into our show today, Dave, and they're trying to figure out how to take back the possibility of their life. And they're looking at debt. They're looking at relationships that are crumbling a little bit. They're looking at struggles financially. They're looking at a political season that is completely a mess. What would be some of your encouragement to the folks who are looking in the mirror and they're not smiling at the image they see looking back at them? Well, everyone... In any setting, no matter how successful or how, how dark the clouds are right there, there's always a bucket going down into the well, something bad going on, and there's always a bucket coming up out of the well with fresh water in it. You've always got good stuff in your life and bad stuff in your life. And you need to sit around and start thinking not just about the bad stuff and go, okay, you know, I, you know, when we went through losing everything, we sat around, we did, we, we said, okay, what do we have to be grateful for? Because there wasn't a lot. I mean, the house is in foreclosure. We don't like each other much. You know, uh, but we look around, we got two kids that are perfectly healthy. Uh, we both had our health. Um, you know, have, have you ever just looked at your hand and thought about how magical that is, you know? And John, you know, you've, you've got the scar, the scars mm -hmm. and, but you know, I, I look at your hands, I look at my hands. I think I got a lot to be grateful for. That thing is an amazing thing that no God gave me, it. you know, there's a, you, you it doesn't take much to think about something that you have grateful for. 
I live in America. Yeah, it's a mess, and yes, there's problems. But you know what? If I don't like something, I can just decide this moment to change it. I'm free. Mm-hmm. I can. If I want to start a business, I can start one in the morning. If I want to take a new idea to market, I can just do it tomorrow. I just have to decide right now. Just decide. That's all I have to do. And, and that kind of freedom, that kind of liberty is not available a lot of places. And, and the, really, most people are trapped not physically and not financially. They're trapped between their ears. And me too. So I, I had to get grateful and getting grateful, you know, led me to generosity and, and, and contentment. And and those things are not uh, perpendicular to ambition. They increased ambition. Uh, they weren't. It's not a paradox to be generously ambitious or to be content and ambitious simultaneously. I had coffee on Saturday just a few days ago, Dave, with a fellow who is retired. He's younger than you are. And he was bragging on how his golf game just keeps getting better and better. I, I, I sense that your golf game is not getting better, maybe, that you are still highly focused on growing your business, touching lives, impacting people through your mission. What's keeping a man who is as successful as you've been in life from the golf course, besides the fact that your game is lousy? I mean, what, what is getting you up early, keeping you up late, and making you take risks day after day for the listeners, for the readers, for the people you're able to influence? I don't play golf because I'm OCD, and you should never play golf if you're OCD. So I don't. I never started the game. But um, other recreational things. Why have I not gotten better at them? And spent my life. My, you know, why have I not, you know, gone scuba diving more? Mm-hmm. You know, barefoot water ski. And why have I not spent my life becoming a 56 year old barefoot water skier? Because that's stupid. <laughs> um, but uh, um, you know, but the uh, it's real simple. My 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 job is my rec- recreation. I, what I do for a living, I love. I love sitting down here and getting to talk to you for an hour. I love sitting down here and doing this show for three hours this afternoon. I, I, I enjoy it. Mm-hmm. I've been on the road for a week, and um, I was looking forward to it this morning, to being back on the radio and answering the questions. The psychological income from serving people, and you got to figure out why whatever you're doing, whether you own a heating and air company or whether you own a, uh, a hot dog stand or whether you are a counselor or whether you're a pastor, you've got to figure out how that serving how that is serving and lifting people and if you can tie that in and get the psychological income out of, of what you're doing then, then you don't really ever work another day in your life i work like a maniac in mm-hmm. terms of hours or intensity or focus or those kinds of things i'm not a workaholic but i just thoroughly enjoy what i do i just really do um and even in the succession plan I, i'm dreading the day that i'm less important <laughs> Because I enjoy the seats I'm sitting in. I'm spoiled rotten. Well, we're glad you're in it. And Dave, at the end of uh, our podcast, we always ask our our listeners to, to send us some of their questions. And so we have seven questions that we ask every single gentleman or, or lady that we interview. Okay. So we call them the Live Inspired Sacred Seven. Okay. You have not been prepared for these, but I know you're the kind of guy that somehow will manage an answer for all seven of these. So here we go. <laughs> Dave Ramsey. What is the best book that you've ever read? Oh, I can't narrow that to one. I'd have to give a cliche answer, the Bible. Um, give, pa- me a, give me a couple of your favorites. So the Bible shows up on the list. What else is on there? Yeah, Past that, books that have impacted me, uh, a lot of them are by people that have become friends. Um, Boundaries by Dr. Henry Cloud is a big book. Way back when I was a teenager, Daddy made me read uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People, uh, the old Dale Carnegie book. Um, uh, you know, I've read... Everything that Jim Collins has ever written, everything that Malcolm Gladwell's ever written, everything that um, Zig Ziglar ever wrote, ever wrote um, uh, you know. So I, I'm a voracious reader. I, I you know, um, 
Thou Shall Prosper, Daniel Lappin's book, uh, Rabbi Daniel Lappin's had a big impact. It's a wonderful book. Um, I mean, there's so many others. Just like, you know, I read uh, another one of Henry's book this summer. That's a real good book, um, The Power of the Other. Mm-hmm. And, um, Henry Cloud is awesome. Yeah, he's a great writer and a great thinker. And uh, so I've read everything he's ever written, too, um, even though we're friends. <laughs> and so, uh, I mean, John Maxwell, I read most of his stuff every time he has something come out. So, I mean, I'm just, I look for authors that are good thinkers and that, are, are, that add value uh, when I bother to take the time. Mm-hmm. They didn't take like one 30-minute talk and turn it into a whole book. Uh, they had something to say that was a whole book worth. That's, mm-hmm. why I don't, that's why I don't write many books. I mean, the publishers are always wanting me to do another book, do another book, do another book. And they'd be thin. I don't have that much to say. Right. And what I say, I say over and over and over again. So, it's not, you know, it just doesn't need to be another book. But, yeah, I, I um, and when we put out a book, I want it to be that way here. So uh, I don't I don't think I can be narrowed down even to my top 10. That's just a few that are coming to the top of mind stream of consciousness. But I probably left out some really good ones. Perfect. Tomorrow, Dave Ramsey, you discover that your wealthy uncle has shockingly died at 103, leaving you with millions. Where would you put that money? What would you do with it? I, you know, all I do with money, there's only three things you can do with it. Enjoy it, give it, and invest it. And I would do some of all three. Your house, Dave, it catches fire. All living things and all living people are out. And you have an opportunity to run inside and to grab one thing that really matters to you. What would you grab? I have my grandmother's grandfather's Bible. It was given to him in 1878. He Mm. was a circuit-riding Methodist preacher. And the notes in it are classic. He's a hellfire and brimstone preacher, without a doubt. And um, But I also have his memoirs and know the kind of man he was. And I have a couple of other possessions of his to where you get the indication of who he was. The kind, he was generous and kind and loved the Lord. Very righteous, very very um, uh, legalistic, probably, mm-hmm. by today's standards. Mm-hmm. But uh, I would run and get that Bible. I'd be right behind you. That's awesome. <laughs> if you could sit on a bench overlooking a beach on a gorgeous day, Dave, and have a long conversation with anyone living or dead, who would it be? Oh, wow. That's a great interview. Philosophical question. Um, that would change between which year you asked me. Uh, this year would be Winston Churchill. Uh, the, the perseverance that he led the English people through as they were being bombed into oblivion was amazing. And, um, and he was a great orator, mm-hmm. a great, a great speaker, uh, world class. Uh, and and some and people it, don't know this, but he had a speech impediment that he overcame to be a great speaker. And so, um, you know, because of his ideas, because of the way he looked at politics, the way he looked at life, I read a bunch of stuff on him. Uh, yeah, I think that this 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 week that's who it'd be. If you ask me next week, it'd probably change. Oh, of course, you're supposed to answer Jesus, right? No, Churchill and Ramsey <laughs> on a bench would be. Uh, there might be a cigar. That involved. would be a, <laughs> and maybe a. An inch or so of whiskey. We'll see. <laughs> Dave, what's the best advice you've ever received? <sighs> you know, is again that that's that to try to single that out out of all the things you learn over all the years. Um, I was being asked kind of the opposite in a, with a group of young people the other day. Uh, number one key to succeeding in business, and my, the first pastor that led me to God, um, Brother Hardwick, is is what he was called L.H. Hardwick, but we call him Brother Hardwick. 
Um, the thing he taught us over and over and over is that church was growing from 400 people to 7,000, and we were building leadership teams and uh, pastoral care teams and everything else. He just loved people. Love people. Keep it simple. Love people. What would the Dave Ramsey of today tell his 20-year-old self? You ain't nearly as important as you think you are. <laughs> you are much more expendable than you think you are, buddy. <laughs> and if you're going to be successful, it's going to be a whole lot harder than you thought it was. Awesome. Final question. It's been said that all great people can have their lives summed up in one sentence. What would you like your one sentence to read? I'm better than I deserve. Dave Ramsey, you uh, have provided me so much wealth and freedom in my life, more than you'll ever know this side of eternity. So I want to thank you for being my friend. Thank you for all you do for your listeners and readers and the lives you touch so much beyond the web that you're even aware of. So thank you for being on this podcast, Dave. I'm honored to be with you and honored to call you a friend, my brother. I'm proud of you, proud of the work you're doing. Well, my friends, for this time and until next time, this was Dave Ramsey. I am John O'Leary, and this is Live Inspired. Well, thank you for joining me today on the Live Inspired Podcast. I kind of told you on the front side that Dave was going to enjoy being on the other side of the microphone. I love it when a successful person like this gets to share some of the challenges they face on the journey up the ladder, that it was in the failures, in fact, not in the successes where they did their greatest learning. It's where they grew in faithfulness. It's where they grew in character. It's where they grew in resilience, and it's where they grew ultimately in gratitude. I think Dave's life story is no different. It's where Dave, through those many setbacks, many failures, began doing his best work. In the show notes, I will be linking to Dave's radio show, Dave's books, his podcast. You'll have notes for this entire show. You'll want to check it all out. You can learn more about all of this on JohnO'LearyInspires.com. We'll also have links to previous shows, so you'll want to for sure check this out. John O'LearyInspires.com. Now, my friends, if you have enjoyed this episode as much as I've enjoyed bringing it to you, please take a few seconds to subscribe, rate this show, and consider even reviewing it on iTunes or maybe wherever else you grab your podcast. This helps me so much in getting the word out about this show. Yes, it's true we are in season one. Yes, it's true we are still launching. Yes, it's true we have cracked the top 20 in business podcasts. This is awesome news, and I appreciate your generosity in getting there. But we think it's just the beginning. We think there are an awful lot of lives that are in need of hope and perspective and a little bit of resiliency. So help us share the good news. Help us get the message out. Help us share the story of Dave Ramsey and many of the other guests that we brought into our studio to a community, to a world. Start for it. So share the good news, your neighbors, your colleagues, your online community. You link them to the podcast. Link them to JohnO'LearyInspires.com. Let's touch more lives together, my friends. Let's build a movement of good. So for this time... And until next time, this is your day, my friends. Do not forget it. This is your day to live inspired.